ladies and gentlemen, to the Renaissance podcast. Oh. My name is Cameron Riley, and this is how I, this is how I'm feeling. Oh. Papa Bear, I believe it's whiskey day. Whiskey it in the jar. Is that what Wednesday. your day has been today? Whiskey Wednesday. So I'm not going to lie whiskey to you. Whiskey Wednesday. I'm a little liquored up, um, but hey, you know, it, it, I'm sure to be fine. I, I, I'm sure to be fine. What were you? What were you sipping today at the whiskey this bar? This time I did a cocktail. Um, um, it's called In the Woods. Um, God, I don't have the ingredients from it. All I know is it tastes fantastic. I had two of them because that's the legal amount in the United States. You can have three ounces. And again, I woke up in my home. Um, so all good. All good. We, we had a great time from what I can remember. A great time. Don't remember we? what we talked about. We? Oh, Heather and I. Uh, it's a long story, but Heather and I. Heather and I, yeah. So we just talked shit. Isn't Heather, doesn't she have to teach, like, the chillins? <laughs> Not on Wednesdays. Don't have, It's a private school, so uh, she's off on Wednesdays. So we've decided that every day, every Wednesday at 1130, which is never too early to uh, drink whiskey, uh. We get the whole place to ourselves, and we just try different chairs and stuff. We just sit around and walk around and steal stuff and drink wow. uh, whiskey. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Well, that's nice. That sounds, yeah. sounds lovely. Something to look forward to. Besides talking, well, before we you, get into yes, before we get into the Medici, I want to um, read out a <clears throat> a letter, old fashioned letter that I got on parchment. Actually, this wow. was from. Um, Papyrus. Kansas City from John Forrest in Kansas capital. City. Right, right. Yeah, well, th- that's exactly right. Well well done. He says, hey, Cam, shout out from Kansas City. I'm a little behind in sending this as I've been extremely busy as of late. Uh, that's good. You know, I, I, I'm glad you told me that, John. I was really wondering why you hadn't emailed me before now. Um, at least you explained that. Explained yourself. Better busy than not busy. But uh, what yeah. a... Wanted to try and get it to you before the release of episode 44. Uh, He failed, uh, obviously, because he's been busy. Um, So this is episode 47. But he says, my family, he had one job, John, and it was to get this email to me before episode 44. My family and I were relocated to the Kansas City area due to my work. Eight months ago, and I was surprised to hear that the finger of John the Baptist was in here on the last episode of the Renaissance Times. As you may or may not know, Middle America may be second only to raise country, Southeast, in Christian belief and participation. And to have something like that here and not have it been more common knowledge struck me as strange. Even more, Mm -hmm. our eight-year-old daughter takes art classes at the Nelson Atkins Museum every Saturday, and I'd never seen any material on such an artifact existing. I took to Google and, sure enough, found articles on the Holy Reliquary and that it was housed in the museum, but I found it interesting that the museum's website made no such claims, nor (laughs) did any, let's say, official church channels. So, last Saturday, I undertook the endeavour to investigate and locate the finger. What I found was rather interesting. As you can see in the attached image of the information plaque associated with the reliquary, there is no claim that this finger bone is that of John the Baptist, only that he is depicted in the reliquary and that the scientific dating was done on the bone, 
presumably by the museum, dates it to 660 to 770 CE. Mm. Now, I'll stop there. There's more, but I'll stop there. So um, <laughs> there's no claim that the finger bone is that of John the Baptist. Just there's a picture of him with the finger bone. Right. But we're not saying that it no, is no, his. No. Just yeah. that uh, there's a picture of why him? Oh, I don't know. Just <laughs> needed a picture for the reliquary. You can't have a reliquary without a busy. picture. Had, right. Right. had one lying around with John the Baptist, threw that in there, yeah. <laughs> From what I have read, most estimates place the beheading of John the Baptist between 24 and 29 CE. So unless the Christians got it wrong, (laughs) what are the chances of the Christians getting anything wrong? And John the Baptist had the second coming and was summarily executed and dismembered a second time. I think the evidence is clear that this finger is not his. The finger was acquired as part of the Guelph treasure purchased by the museum, which was previously housed in the Brunswick Cathedral in Germany and acquired by some Duke of Brunswick in the early 11th century. From there, the trail to the origin gets murky, and I hate to pull a ray, but this is going to require digging into books as Google has provided all the information it possesses to no avail, and I don't know that I'll ever get to it. I'm kidding, Ray. I love it when you read directly from Wikipedia, he says. Anyway... Hope this was somewhat helpful or informative. And if either of you ever find yourselves in the area, look us up. Love the shows. Keep up the great work, John Forrest. Well done. Bit of thank you. Bit of detective work. Bit of Sherlocking yeah. there, uh, John. Good work. Good work. And thank you for taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule exactly. as of late to yes. write me an email and send the photos. Yes, no, I'm probably not the uh, actual finger of John the Baptist. Not exactly surprised by that, but um, there you go. It's a finger. It's a finger. Somebody got fingered, and it's in Kansas City. Right, right. Not the finger of John the Baptist, just a finger of John the Baptist. (laughs) Well, not even. A John. A John who was baptized. It's probably the guy who wrote the letter. It's probably his finger. Yeah. It's an easy mistake to make. Um, do you reckon that, like, I'm sure there was a market in, uh, you know, the Middle Ages right. for fingers of John the Baptist, and there were there were peasants, hard up, kids are starving, cows dead, uh, there's right. a drought, um, chop, chopping off their fingers and uh, yeah. selling it to yeah. the church as, a, as the finger oh, of John right. the Baptist. Oh, Oh, it's been handed down from generations in my family. Don't know how, like, don't ask how we got it originally. There was probably, I wonder if it was a job. I wonder if somebody had the job. In your local village, you had your blacksmith. Right. And you had the uh, the, the milner. Alchemist. Right. Uh, and I wonder if, alchemist, <laughs> every village needs an alchemist. I wonder if there was actually the, a job. The guy would come and cut off your finger to, so you could Save sell me. it as, right. I guess it's just the, the, the doctor. Butcher. You know? The butcher. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. The butcher. That's probably yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. Sell your finger as a John the Baptist uh, relic. <laughs> oh, well, well, let's get on with it. So um, where we left off last time, I believe, Ray, was in f- the year of our Lord, 1430, when uh, to 1429, 1430, somewhere around there, um, when the, the Florentine army, Commanded by rich white guy Ronaldo <laughs> Deli Albizzi, right? Waged war on Luca, a town about forty miles from Florence. 
But now, did he have a good reason? He Ronaldo. Had a really good reason. Right? He well, there were lots of reasons. There were lots of reasons. Um, okay. If you read Machiavelli's Machiavelli's uh, book on the history of Florence, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into this. Um, basically, uh, well, yeah. Look, there was a whole bunch of reasons, but one of the ones that Albizzi, the one of the ways he tried to sell it to the Florentines was that Luca had sided with Milan in the last war. Right. And so it was kind of a bit of payback. You insulted our, our something. something. Um, we're in, <laughs> anyway, yeah. We thought we were friends. Right. You, you, you sided with Milan uh, in the last war, or at least you were neutral in the last war. I'm not exactly sure how much they got involved, but uh, but there, was, there were other reasons as well. Um, you know, basically, he was sort of selling it as, look, we can go and we can uh, take all their shit. We can take all their shit yeah, and then yeah. uh, we'll, all be, we'll, we'll have their shit. Because right, I'm not sure. Right. He was explaining to the Florentines. I'm not sure if you understand how this war business <laughs> works, but we go and take their shit. Then their shit becomes our shit. Right, and right. we have more shit, basically. That's yeah. the basic principle of war. Um. Now, Luca was run by a bit of a tyrant at the time, Paolo. Uh, right. Let me find his last name here. Paolo Guinigi. He was the governor of Luca, had installed himself as the governor. He's called in the books, uh, in the histories, as a bit of a tyrant. Right. Um, but I, I don't know how tyrannical he was. When I read about him in Machiavelli, he sounds reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway... They, the people didn't like tyrant. him. People wanted to get rid of him. So, right, right. So what actually happened is a couple of people fl- from uh, Luca went to Florence, according to Machiavelli, and said, hey, come and overthrow our city, right. would you please? Because we hate this guy. Um, we'll open the gates and let you in, basically. Ah, Just come and take it. Right. Too good to be now, true. Now, not everyone in Florence. Yeah, not everyone in Florence thought it was a good idea. Like these guys, the, these guys from Luca, the Lucchese guys, mm-hmm. said, "Look, um, every, we'll we'll thank you. Come and take our shit, and we will thank you for it." <laughs> I'm sure they. I'm sure there was nothing in it for them. I'm pretty sure these guys, you know, didn't think they were going to get some sort of payback. Right. Knowing human behavior as I do, no one knows more about human behavior than I do, no. Ray. And I was pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that these guys didn't expect to get any sort of benefit or upside from uh, uh, arranging the overthrow of their government yeah. by the Florentines. So this is altruistic. They're not traitors. This is a treason. Right. Pu- purely right. altruistic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, according to Machiavelli, Niccolo de Ozzano, the most influential man in Florence, um, stated that the city of Florence never entered on a more unjust or more dangerous project or one more pregnant with evil than this. Oh. Now, I don't know if you've ever been pregnant with evil, Ray, but um, you know, Chrissy has when she was pregnant with Fox. <laughs> In the first place, they were going to attack a Guelphic city that had always been friendly to the Florentine people and had frequently, at great hazard, received the Guelphs in her bosom when they were expelled from their own country. Now, for the uh, people playing at home, 
Can you remind everyone of uh, the Guelphs and the Ghibellines? Which one of the Guelphs? Which one of the Ghibellines? Oh, if I had to guess, and this is totally a guess, the Guelphs wanted the Pope to have um, temporal power and the Ghibellines wanted the emperors, or do I have it backwards? It's been a couple of weeks. No, you, you're right. You know, you're right on there, right? You got it. You got that straight Boom. out of the bag, my friend. The way I, the way I remember is Guelph right. is a short word like Pope. Uh, ah, Ghibellines is right. a longer word right. like emperors. Gotcha. So that's my heuristic. You got to have a heuristic, a rule of thumb for remembering things. Right. I found as in, in my great age. <laughs> so yeah, that's the way I remember. And they took this shit seriously. They really, really did. Now Cosimo was also against the war. Cosimo di Medici. Mm-hmm. Um, but he and Ozzano got outvoted. They held a vote. There was a big debate. Should we go and? attack this city just because they've done nothing, but should we go and attack them or not? And uh, the the, uh, Signoria uh, decided upon war. Now, the people of Florence were all for it, apparently, in the hope that um, the spoils of war would help reduce the taxation on the population. And Machiavelli, in his history, uh, complains that the people had been against the last war when they were fighting against Milan, right. even though it was defensive. So Milan was trying to take cities that were uh, friendly to Florence, I think, last time. Allies. And mm-hmm. uh, rather than do a deal, right. the Flor- Florence decided to go to war, lost that war, cost them a fortune. <laughs> right. But it was a defensive war, and the people were against it. Now this is a war of aggression, and the people are for it. And Machiavelli writes this great line that I liked. So much more ready are the multitude to covet the possessions of others than to preserve their own. And so much more easily are they led by the hope of acquisition than by the fear of loss. Ooh, I like that. And I think think that's um, pretty true of humans generally. I think that's a good insight into human nature by Machiavelli. Yeah, that uh, people are more easily led by the hope of acquisition than by the fear of loss. Right. Hmm. <laughs> there is one anyway, slight... Anyway, so that's, that's what's going on. Yeah, there is one slight hmm. flaw in this plan, as we saw 1422 to 1427 when uh, Florence was fighting Milan. Did not go so well. On the battlefield. Part of that was uh, the mercenaries that we were talking about uh, previously who just wanted to get paid. Um, But the flaw in this plan is they're about to attack a smaller city to the west of them. However, they are taking Florentine troops. And um, a Florentine woman, I'm sure, is beautiful. I'm sure the man is graceful and elegant. It can probably paint something. But warriors, they are not. So we'll just have to see how it goes. But yeah, they're not the greatest fighters in the world. Yeah, indeed. Um, and they were up against one of the particularly good fighters, um, which we'll see in a second. But Cosimo, even though he was against this, uh, was cornered after the vote had been um, affirmed to go to war. He was uh, cornered uh, into joining the Daichi, the mm-hmm. War Council of Ten or the Committee of Ten. 
So he couldn't turn around later and go, listen, I, not my fault, I wasn't part of it. They're going, you're going to sit on this fucking thing That's and you're right. going to make decisions so you can't turn around and uh, try and get out of it. Uh, but interestingly, Ronaldo Deli Albici, the guy who uh, was the, like the loudest voice pushing for the war, mm-hmm. was made war commissary. Ooh. What, what is a war commissary, Ray? Explain that to the kids at home. I don't know. Is he in charge of the uh, armed forces that are going um, west, I'm guessing? Or is there more to it than that? You grew, up, you grew up as a military brat. You don't know what a commissary is? A commissary is where we went to go get our food. So is he in charge of supplies? Yes. He's responsible okay. for supplying provisions, military arms, Right. All the shit. He's basically, you know, we've talked a lot on um, our Cold War show about the economics of war, mm-hmm. right? How um, one of the reasons I believe the United States has been in perpetual war since World War II is that there are people figured out, businessmen figured out, and the senators and the congressmen and women that they uh, 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 control mm-hmm. figured out uh, during this period of Keynesian uh, economics, uh, uh, military Keynesian economics during World War II, is a lot of money to be made right. during war. If you can convince the people that you're going to go to war, you can then take billions of dollars out of the public treasury and give it to yourselves... <laughs> <laughs> to to arm the military. Right. Uh, and even better than that, you go and destroy a country and then you go, oh, look, we destroyed that country. We better go fix it. Then you get more money wow. and you call it aid. You, go, you give it to yourself yeah. to go fix that country uh, just so you can go and blow it up again 10 years later, do it all again. Um, so uh, economics is always war is always about economics right? yeah. uh, to a large degree. Right. This and, and this one, if anything, if we have learned from history, it's that war is usually about economics. It's about someone's making money somewhere along the line. They're usually the people who are crying out loudest for war. Now, Albici got himself made war commissary, and according to Machiavelli. Mm-hmm. Who knows a thing or two about corrupt corrupt people? Um, <laughs> complaints were made against Ronaldo Deli Albici no. that he carried on the war not for the advantage of the Florentine people, but his own private emolument. That as soon as he was appointed commissary, he lost all desire to take Luca, for it was sufficient for him to plunder the country, fill his estates with cattle, oh. and his. House with booty. I like filling my house with booty. (laughs) And not content with what his own satellites took, he purchased that of the soldieri so that instead of a commissary, he became a merchant. So my take on that is he's running around the countryside going, sorry, we need that for the army. Sorry, taking everyone's shit. Sorry, commandeering that, taking this, taking that, keeping a good chunk of it for himself and some of it taking it and then selling it back to the Florentine army at a profit. Um, so, you know, that's how, that's why Albici, he'd, remember they, the Florentines had brought in this Castado tax. Um, previously, they'd taxed people on income, but the wealthy, the landed gentry didn't worry about income. They just had, they had assets. So then uh, they under Giovanni, they had, brought in this Castato tax to pay for the last war, mm-hmm. which was massively expensive. 
Um, now, now Beachy's like, oh, shit, they're taking our money to, to pay for these wars. I'm going to create a war to get more money to pay for, to fill back my coffers with the money that they took from the last war right. that didn't go so well. Vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So the city of Luca or Lucha, uh, I think Luca is how it's pronounced, uh, appealed to Milan, to the Visconti. Uh-oh. Mr. Visconti in Milan, a.k.a. Alyssa Milano, for help. Um, And they appeared appealed for help by singing a song. I can't play that song because we don't do that anymore on this show because I'll just have to edit it out later. But it was, my name is Luca. I live on the second floor. I live upstairs from you. Yes, I think you've seen me before. If you hear something late at night, some kind of trouble, some kind of fight, just don't ask me what it was. Just don't ask me what it was. It's probably Florence at my door. So that was his song. Aha. Get it? That's how they did it, huh? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that. But Alyssa Alyssa Milano wasn't keen on another war. Alyssa Milano, she was like, dude... We're still paying for the last war. We 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 don't want to go to war yeah. until the Lucchese representatives said, "Well, what if we hand over the governor of the city to you and you can just have Luca?" Um, uh, so the the the, the Lucchese are trying to sell out right. <laughs> their governor to both sides. Damn. Some of them went to Florence and said, uh, come and overthrow our, our government. Some of them went to Milan and said, come and overthrow our government, and you better hurry up because if you don't, <laughs> the Florentines are going to take it. And we think our governor slash tyrant, Piola Guinigi, is probably just going to hand over the city to Florence. Oh my God. Because he doesn't like bloodshed. That's, that's how bad a tyrant he is. He's like, oh, no, don't no. kill the people here. Just take the city. It's all fine. So good. I, I, so yeah. the Visconti of Milan. Sorry. Oh, I, would, I just wanted to ask real quick. Um, now I had read that Alvarado de' Medici, um, Cosimo's cousin, was more for the war, and he was either the commander or a commander of the troops. Um, without giving too much away, is he not being true to the family, or does he maybe see the financial upside of hopefully waging a successful war um, like they haven't done previously. I'm just trying to figure out his loyalties without giving too much away uh, that might happen in the future. Yeah, well, we don't, we don't really know. I think he, okay. um, you know, the, the, the Medici, like every family, don't always agree on everything. Sure. Uh, Cosimo maybe a little bit more conservative about these things because he's rich. Yeah. Um, Avarado maybe uh, wants to make a buck out of it. But as we'll see uh, in upcoming episodes, maybe Cosimo, I don't know, maybe he wasn't everything that he seemed to be in this instance. We don't really know. Um, okay. But, yes, Avarado did vote for the war. Uh, Cosimo voted against it. Anyway... Uh, Milano, Alyssa Milano decided they would have another crack at Florence and the Machine, so the Visconti sent down his best soldier for hire, Francesco Sforza. What a name. Now, I got very excited. Yeah, I'm very excited that we get to do the Sforza. We start 
telling the story of the Sforza because this is one of these names that um, I've you know I've been familiar with since I first read Machiavelli's The Prince mm-hmm. when I was a young fella. I read right. that probably in my early twenties uh, when I first you know was was getting interested in history and politics and that kind of stuff. Right. Always wanted to study more on Sforza, Sforza, the Borgia, Medici, all of these Florentine families. Now, if you've ever read The Prince, you'll know that Machiavelli uses Francesco Sforza as one of the examples of how to rule in The mm. Prince. Right. He sort of looked at this guy as uh, a bit of a rock star. Right. Um so Sforza at the time was uh, a mercenary commander, a condottiere. He was uh, only about 29, had, had an interesting life up until that point. He goes on, though, to launch one of the most powerful families in the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was born in, in Tuscany, one of seven illegitimate sons <laughs> of another condottiero, Muccio Sforza. Right. Now, his father, Muccio, was either an illiterate peasant mm-hmm. or a member of a rich family of rural nobility, depending on which source you read. Right. <laughs> the, the, sources on, the sources from this period are yeah, a little bit all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, his original name was Giacomo Attendolo. Oh, my God. And he, as a young man, he was kidnapped. Right. By a gang of adventurers, or he stole one of his father's horses and joined a gang of adventurers <laughs> willingly, right? Depending on which source you believe. Wow. Okay. Either way, after the death of the leader of this uh, gang of mercenaries, basically, um, he he took over and right. became. This is the father, right? right Daddy's right. Daddy's Forza, and he got the nickname from one of his early com- commanders of Sforza, which means strong, because oh. he was uh, very very good on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, apparently, this uh, guy who gave him the the nickname Sforza was Albrico de Barbiano, who himself was a student of Sir John Hawkeswood that we've talked about before, great British. Right. Uh, slash uh, Italian mercenary commander, British mercenary commander that that made a big name for himself in the 1300s across Italy fighting for everyone. And uh, Muccio is a shortened version of Giacomuzzo, which is the name of his paternal grandfather. So he changed his name from uh, Giacomo Attendolo to Muccio Sforza. Wow. And he was a bit of a badass. Um, in 1398, he was fighting on the payroll of Perugia against Visconti, the Duke of Milan. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the war, he changed sides, <laughs> as you do. Was he offered money? Uh, more money? Uh, yes, he was offered more money. Yep. Mm. Um, and he was like, yeah, fuck it. Like any true capitalist, he was like, bitch, I got, money has no... Money has no morals. Just give right. you give me more money, I change sides. I don't give yeah. a fuck, man. I'll just turn around. Um, then a little later, he fought for Florence against the Visconti. Right. Because uh, they paid him more money. But he was defeated by his former master, de Barbiano, in this stage. Then he was hired by King Ladislaus of Naples, oh my God. a.k.a. Ladislaus the Magnanimous, 
aka the son of Charles III, who deposed his cousin Queen Joanna the First, as we've talked about in previous episodes. Anyway, uh, he he was hired by King Laddie, who named Sforza Gran Constabile of his kingdom, wow. Grand Constable. Now, here's an interesting note: the word constable mm-hmm. comes from the Italian comes stabuli which was originally given to the man who supervised the stables of the king, Comus Stabuli. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, could be. You're looking after horses. Horses are sexy. Um, stable boy. Okay. He was a stable okay. boy like... Uh, Royal. Like... Royal uh, stable boy. Yeah. Yeah, the stable boy. Um, later... Uh, it was that that title was given to a, a high noble who was given command of the cavalry, or in France, Naples, and Sicily, given command of the entire royal army, wow. and that was Forza. Mm-hmm. So um, the 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 Grand Constable was actually in charge of the entire army. So for Naples, he fought against Florence and the Pope, and then his kid Frank Francesco. Right. Joined his father's company of mercenaries in 1419, aged 18, yeah, and was famous for being able to bend metal bars with his bare hands. Damn, Sforza, indeed. Why strong? Oh, I don't know. Did they yeah. did they need horseshoes? Yeah. Were they playing horseshoes and they ran out of? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think there might be a little bit of uh, a little bit of mythology built in there. Why is he called Sforza? Well, he could bend metal bars with his bare hands, don't you know? Yeah. Anyway, I love Will Durant's description of him. I don't know if you read this in Will Durant's no. book, but he says Francesco Sforza was the ideal of Renaissance soldiers: tall, handsome, athletic, brave, the best runner, jumper, wrestler in his army, sleeping little. Marching bareheaded winter and summer, winning the devotion of his men by sharing their hardships and rations, and leading them to lucrative victories by strategy and tactics rather than by superior numbers or arms. Ah. So unrivaled was his reputation that enemy forces on more than one occasion laid down their arms just at the sight of him oh and greeted him with uncovered heads as the greatest general of his time. Oh, I give up. I give, who, who is that? Oh, it's Sforza. Nope, nope. I, 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 I doff my cap, sir. We give in. Please don't kill me. Yeah, we give in. Yeah. Pope, Pope Pius II later wrote about him. He was very tall and bore himself with great dignity. His expression was serious. His way of speaking quiet. His manner gracious. His character in general such as became a prince. He appeared the only man of our time whom fortune loved. He had great physical and intellectual gifts. He married a lady of great beauty, rank and virtue by whom he had a family of very handsome children. He was rarely ill. There was nothing he greatly desired which he did not obtain. So this is who you're dealing with here, <laughs> Francesco Sforza, motherfucking badass, bad right. motherfucker. He had written on his wallet, this guy, and he's got um, and his father. Yeah, and I was just going to say, not only is it him, his, but he's got a battle-hardened army behind him that's heading towards Luca. So yeah, this is a pretty big deal. Yeah, 
And he took over command of the troops when his father, Muccio, died trying to save a page boy from drowning. And he drowned Aww. himself and his body got washed away. Yeah. Noble man. So Frank took over command. Uh, initially, he fought for Naples, then switched sides to fight, fight for Pope Marty. Right. Um, then... He switched sides to fight for the new Duke of Milan, Filippo Maria Visconti, after the former Visconti, Gian Galazzo Visconti, died. Um, So then he's he's working for the Duke of Milan, Visconti, and he's having a lot of success, and then he he, he falls for what should be one of our rules, like rule number one, (laughs) D-back, rule number two, Never attend a lunch, <laughs> dinner, or any event in your honour. Right. Rule number three mm-hmm. is never be too successful when you're working for somebody else. Ooh, yes. And uh, this, uh, 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 Frank, Frankie, Frankie Sfo fell for that. He failed that rule because Visconti thought he was getting a little bit too big for his boots and sent him to a prison, Ooh. basically locked him up in a castle. It was a nice right. prison. It was like a Paul Manafort prison. Right. Comfy. Had yeah. a fax machine yeah, and cable. an espresso machine. Right. Cable, yeah. um, hookers, um, <laughs> all that all that kind of warm shower. The gym, right. But it was a prison nonetheless. Sure. Until he, he kept it kept him on ice until he needed him, which he now did to fight against Florence and defend Luca. So Visconti pulls him off of ice. And uh, sends him down to. Uh, he doesn't actually. It's nicely how he does this too, according to Machiavelli. He doesn't say go and fight Florence. He says, "Look, uh, go to Naples," because he didn't want to declare war on Florence. He said, "Look, go to Naples. Right. On the on the way to Naples, pop in and see our friends in Luca. <laughs> see what's going on. Just have have a look. You know, if you get caught up in anything while you're there, so be yeah. it. Not on. I, I I have I have no idea what that might right. be." But just uh, play it by yeah, ear, yeah, really. Yeah. That's my advice to you. Play it by ear. Yeah. Oh my god! So I, I, I can only imagine that as he arrives in the vicinity of Luca, the Florentine, Florentine troops are pretty much, as you were saying, because he's such a badass with his with his battle hardened men, they're pretty much forced to back off of their siege of Luca and either just move back away or, or do. I'm not sure if they move all the way back to Florence, knowing that they cannot take on this guy. And like you were saying a second ago, Sforza and his army are now going to be able to gain entrance to Luca because no one's going to try to oppose them. Yeah. Well, he, he gets there. Um, the Lucchese led him in. He quickly pushes the Florentine forces back because right. he is a badass and his troops are badasses. And as you said before, the Florentines, not so much. No. Um, then, after he pushes the Florentine forces back, he marches into Luca, overthrows Paolo Guinigi, the governor, right. with the help of the citizens of Luca. According to Machiavelli's account, about 70 citizens rocked up at uh, Guinigi's palace, knocked on the door. Knock, knock, who's there? We are here. We are here. Who? We are here to <laughs> overthrow you. You. That right. Uh, they so said, we're here to chance. take... We're here to take yeah. the we're here to take the keys of the city and all the money. And he said, "Well, the money's all gone, but um, here are the keys. Just don't hurt anyone." 
And I thought, wow, he sounds like a really brutal tyrant. Um, I can see why they wanted to overthrow him. Uh, he said, my, my rule started without bloodshed and I'd like it to finish that way. He and his son got thrown into a prison by Schwarzer and died in prison, so it didn't work out so oh, well for him. shit. Um, but here's the thing. Rather than uh, uh, make himself the king of Luca or the governor of Luca or plant a flag and say, I now declare Luca the possession of uh, Lissa Milano, right. what uh, Sforza does is sets up a Republican government. Yay! Yay! So now there's two Republicans. They have governments. a democracy. Yeah! Isn't that what yeah. Florence is all about? Which? Yeah. Well, yeah, that sort of... that was a big dent in Florence's whole argument. <laughs> I mean, their whole point of going to fight these guys was, you know, they didn't like them. They had a tyrant. Right. The people said, come and get rid of our tyrant. Come and help us. We have a tyrant. Yeah. They, yeah okay, we'll go fight the tyrant. Saddam, we've got to go fight Saddam. <laughs> and then they went, but then the, now the people have got a democracy and Florence is like, well... Well, we're fucking here now. I mean, what you we, can't. Yeah, <laughs> I pulled out my sword. We marched all the way here. Yeah, yeah. forty miles. Like it took us, took us, took us hours what? to get here. Um, <laughs> what am I supposed to do we, now? We, yeah, we didn't even bring food because we were pretty sure this was going to be like an instant victory. <laughs> we got the mission accomplished. Banner right. at the back. We got off George Bush. We're going <laughs> to hang it up. Uh, well, now what do Awkward. we do? Yeah. So Florence did what rich people always do when they get into trouble. Hell yeah. So, so not only has the Florence force been pushed back, um, and now this, like you said, Luca is now a republic. So the Committee of Ten, the Committee of Ten back in uh, Florence is all but undone. The ruling Signoria does not know what to do. But like you said, um, when needs must, you go back to your base. The Florentines are not warriors, what they are are rich, so they pretty much offer Swartza a bribe. 50,000 florins if he and his troops leave Luca. And Swartza, being the mercenary slash bidden man that he is, says, yep, I'll take that, and they fuck off. Well, what rich people do when they get into trouble, they buy their way out of it. And uh, yeah. so... 50,000 florins, we've said in previous episodes that the rough modern equivalent of a florin is somewhere between 140 and 1,000 modern US dollars. So let's pick the middle point. Let's say $500. 50,000 is about $25 million. Now, according to Machiavelli, Mm -hmm. Florence actually asked Sforza to give them Luca in return for the money. And he said, hmm. Right. No, I can't do that. I won't give you the city, not mine to give, because ethics, but I will leave, and if you can take it, it's yours. (laughs) And they said, okay. Uh, Now. That's fair. I guess. Not for the first or last time in his life, Schwarzer took the money and changed sides, because it's all about the Benjamins, baby. Now, obviously, Visconti. (laughs) It is. In Milan, not very happy about that, Visconti said, uh, hey, you took my money. 
Uh, to which Schwarzer replied, bitch, you put me in prison. What the fuck did you think was going to happen when you let me out? <laughs> really? You put me in prison because I was good at my yeah. job yeah. and you think I was, was going to be loyal? How fucking stupid are you, really? Now, Cosimo was appalled that Florence had paid Schwarzer so much money, although... Maybe he wasn't, as we'll see later on, but he claimed to be appalled. Oh, no, I can't believe you did that. He said Schwarzer would have left anyway. His soldiers were running out of money. There had been an outbreak of the plague in Lucca. Right. Um, but uh, anyway, that was where it was at. They, they bought him off and off he went. So what happens next after Schwarzer leaves, Ray? Yeah, so when Sforza gets off, the Florentine army bravely walks back to the walls of Lucca and they start up their siege again. However, their prowess as warriors has not changed in the last couple of weeks, and they're going to find that this city of Lucca, town of Lucca, with a wall around it, now because it's a republic, now because the people are representing themselves and fighting for themselves, they are actually fighting with gusto. So for the Florentine troops, nothing has really changed. They're trying to get in. They still can't get in for different reasons, because now these people are fighting for themselves and not for just a tyrant. And so... Florence, after paying out 50,000 Florin, are still stuck and you know at base camp where they cannot get into the city. And like you said a second ago, it's even a little more awkward because now they're fighting a fellow Republican city. That is just not good PR for Florence. But hey, in for a penny, in for a pound, they've got to take this town. But they were they were attacking it because they were trying to overthrow the tyrant, Ray. Why are they still attacking it now? Okay, yes, but if you read the fine print on the brochure, it says if we take their shit, then maybe we don't have to collect all the taxes we are going that we were going to have to take to pay for the last war with a new tax system, which is why the average person in Florence was behind it. So they still need that money because they're still in debt from the last war. Things aren't looking great, but they have to keep going. Like you said, this is all about the Benjamins. Are you suggesting, Ray, that the justification given for war is usually complete and fucking utter bullshit? What I'm saying is um, the people in Florence have a wheel. And on the wheel are a list of seven different reasons to fight a, fight a war. And they throw a dart. And whichever piece of paper it lands in, that's what they tell everybody the war is for. This time it happens to be because, hey, you didn't side with us. And in this part they whisper, we need your shit. Because we're out of money from the last mm. war. That's what is going And like you said before, nothing has changed since from then to today. Exactly. Now, at some point uh, during the second siege, it seems like either Ronaldo degli Albici or Brunelleschi mm -hmm. has a brilliant idea. <laughs> According to Machiavelli, it was Brunelleschi's idea. Right. What? Now, and it's important to understand um, at this juncture that artists during this period uh, uh, weren't just uh, artists. They were right. thinkers. They were doers. Engineers. Anyone who's yeah. ever looked at, exactly, anyone who's ever looked at uh, Leonardo da Vinci's notebooks knows that when he wasn't painting, he was designing tanks 
and uh, all sorts of military weapons right. and innovations and those sorts of things, as well as inventing the bike and the aeroplane and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, these guys back then were, as you said, they were engineers and they were they were military engineers, right. as well as you know, on, in their spare time they'd sculpt a David or or, or, or build a dome on on the church or paint something. But right. they were they were the guys who you went to. They were the thinkers. Fingers. They were the doers. They knew how to craft shit. Right. They didn't just sit around all day jerking off painting. They actually had to, you know, add value in time of war. They said, hey, what can you do in a war? Well, I can paint the war. And they're like, well, that's no fucking good. What's the point of that? Can you build stuff? Oh, yeah, I can build. Yeah, right. Come and build stuff. So Brunelleschi has this idea that if if they build a dam across the river that runs outside of Luca, the river Circhio, Mm-hmm. then they could divert its waters in a sudden torrent towards the right. ramparts of Luca and basically wash it away. They'll build Brilliant. a dam, let the water yeah. build up, then open the floodgates, direct it to the city, wash the city away like a biblical flood. <laughs> Brilliant. A, cun- a cunning plan. A cunning plan. Um, worthy of Black Adder's servant. So yeah, so you're right. So these three men, Brunelleschi, Michelozzo, and Donatello, direct the soldiers, and yeah, they dam up um, the water near the town. But because it's near the town, the commander in charge of the Luca defenses sees what's going on, and it turns out that um, maybe one Lucan is worth three Florentines because he comes up with his own counter brilliant plan. Ah, right, take Bolnick off the spit. Oh. <laughs> I've got a plan so cunning you could put a tail on it and call it a weasel. <laughs> that. That's how cunning it was. Um, yes, that cunning. So the Committee of Ten send Brunelleschi, Michelozzo and Donatello mm-hmm. to build a dam. So they get to work and they had... Soldiers up to their necks in mud, Ugh. building this dam. Right. After about a week, they're they're ready. They're ready to unleash yes. this force of nature against Luca. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, the night before they were due to execute their cunning plan, Operation Tidal Wave. The com- <laughs> the commander of the uh, Lucan garrison had his own cunning plan. Uh, So many cunning plans running around, no one knew what to do. He he snuck out with some guys in the middle of the night uh, after the the Florentines had all got drunk, patting each other on the back at how clever they were. Um, And they redirected the flow of the dam towards the Florentine <laughs> army camp. Jesus. Honest, so instead of sending a torrent of water towards Luca, right. the dam flooded the Florentine camp and they had to move their camp further away from Luca oh, uh, to uh, survive, uh, you know, to, 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 yeah, they had to move, basically. You fools. In- Chumpetins, bunglers, dumb cops, 
Sissies! <laughs> Pull yourself. Kill us. You are not worthy of the name. In the past three weeks, Nix will smart us personally. Eliminated no less than 11. Do you hear me? Stop it! Nixon Schmatters personally eliminated no less than 11 of our most vicious, brutal, cold-blooded agents. Some of whom were my best, dearest, sweetest, kindest friends. And all because of your bumbling stupidity. But let me tell you this. <laughs> Gonna tell you a story. Have you seen the show Master of None? Master of None. No, I have not. I have not. Hmm. Uh, it's a Netflix series. Um, Aziz Ansari. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a sitcom and Indian Indian actor. Um, right. We were watching an episode the other day, and is a scene where he's sitting around with a bunch of old people, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's Bernie Capel." Bernie Capel, who played Siegfried on Get Smart, and Dr. Adam Bricker, the doc on the love boat, right, is in a fucking episode uh, of Master of None, like filmed oh a couple God. of years ago. How is He's he? He's still around, man. Uh, wow. He is uh, 85, according to Wikipedia. Wow. Um, and was still acting, and I spotted him. Into, like, he grew up watching Get Smart and the love boat. Yeah. Couldn't believe doctor. he was still around and still acting. And, you know, yeah, the doc, he was funny. You know, Good it was Siegfried. Holy shit. Chrissy, of course. I was like, oh, my God, that's Bernie Capel. She's like, who? I was like, oh, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Mormons. <laughs> fucking Mormons. Well, she was also Poor born Mormon. in 79, so, you know, never that's never true. never watched that's all true. those great shows that we saw growing up. Anyway, yeah. Uh, if, if yeah, if you don't watch if you don't watch Master of None, great show by the way, very very well written, very funny show, mm-hmm. very clever. Anywho, yes, yeah, so the dam washes away Florence's army camp. Um, Machiavelli writes about this. He says the result, however, was quite contrary to their expectation, and produced the utmost disorder in the Florentine camp for the Lucchese raised high embankments in the direction of the ditch made by our people to conduct the waters of the Circio, and one night cut through the embankment of the ditch itself, so that having first prevented the water from taking the course designed by the architect, they now caused it to overflow the plain and compelled the Florentines, instead of approaching the city as they wished, to take a more remote position. So, uh... I just, I so, can just imagine, yeah. you know, the uh, I can imagine the Florentines building this thing. Going, <laughs> they will not see this coming. We got them. And uh, yeah. the the people, the Lucchese standing on the walls of the city, going, <laughs> "Oh, okay, I see what they're doing. We'll build our own. <laughs> we'll just stick in and do our own." It's like I don't know. It's just such a yeah. such a such a fucked up situation man like uh yeah they just so easy they just diverted the waters i think it's pretty it's funny yeah don't get me wrong if the florentines could have bribed the water to go the other way i'm sure they had money for it but they could not so they're they have to get the hell out of there so of course this catastrophe of epic proportions reaches florence and just out of sheer disgust and humiliation but also i think a chance uh, uh, an opera um 
an example of political survival, Cosimo resigns from the Committee of Ten, supposedly in disgust, but again, he was never a part, he didn't want to be a part of this anyways, and he goes off to Verona. He does not want the stink of this latest Florentine military expedition to be stuck on him, so he gets the hell out of town and goes uh, to Verona. Where is Verona, right? Where is Verona? Uh, that is a good question. I do not know. Where is Verona? Uh, that's where, uh, was that where Romeo and Juliet were at? Or am I getting my... Um... Verona's, Verona's way up north, uh, sort of inland from Venice, halfway between Milan and Venice, basically. It's a long fucking way from gotcha. Florence. I think it was under it was under control of Venice at the time. Um now, yeah, so he gets, but before that, or sometime after that, uh, around about the same time, not exactly sure of the timing here, but after the whole flooding situation, the Lucchese asked the Visconti in Milan for help again. Um, Visconti this time sends another condottieri, mm-hmm. Niccolo Piccinino. Um, this one wasn't bribed by Florence. I think they'd run out of money in their bribe right. fund. He, he rocks up and he goes, hello, I'm here. Uh, you want to bribe me? And they go, oh, yeah. we would, but we don't. Are you sure? You don't I'll want to bribe it. me. They're like, well, I'll take your bribe. Look, I'm not saying anything, but I'll leave this hat out here. If I come back in the morning and it is full of yeah. gold, then maybe I will just leave and spend my yeah. gold. Um, they couldn't bribe him, so again they were defeated in oh. battle. Um, Machiavelli writes, This defeat filled the Florentines with dismay. Yeah. And as the enterprise had been undertaken with the entire approbation of the great body of the people, they did not know whom to find fault with. Yeah and therefore railed against those who had been appointed to the management of the war, reviving the charges made against Ronaldo. Right. He's, uh, that he was just using the war to profit. Yeah. Um, now, you said Cosimo was disgusted and left. That's one way of looking at it. That's a That's yeah. a... Uh, uh, positive way of looking at it. The other way is he was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here before uh, (laughs) shit hits the fan because we just lost another war that we couldn't afford. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if you want to be nice to Cosimo, you say he was just disgusted and didn't want to be associated with it and left. I think probably what happened is he was like, fuck, this is going to get bad. I'm getting out of here. I'm going as far away as possible, man. Right. He said, oh, I've got some urgent business to take care of in Verona. I'm sorry. I've got to go. Got to go. I think I left the gas on. Now, when Cosimo was out of the city, Albici, uh, Ronaldo Deli Albici's uh, uh, under a lot of pressure. Um, And so what do... What do people, when people are being criticised and they're under pressure, what do they tend to do, Ray? Like Wonder Woman with her bracelets, they deflect. Pew, pew, pew. He's going to start <laughs> deflecting and put the attention, hopefully in the anger and resentment of the people, onto somebody else. Oh, I don't know. Let's say somebody who's currently not in Florence. And can't defend himself. Yeah. Exactly. So he... Albici tries to stir up a conspiracy 
against the Medici. He told everyone that Cosimo had gone to Verona to raise an army and would come back to overthrow the government of Florence and install himself and the rest of his family as the tyrants of Florence. So, I I think that's... I'm sorry, but common sense... We'll leave this episode. Does common... Does common sense not? I mean, does the people not hear that and go, um, "That smells like bullshit to me"? But maybe because he's one of the oligarchs, um, his word is given a certain amount of weight. Yeah. Well, look, I'm sure there were people, particularly the people in the Medici camp, who said that's bullshit. Um, I'm sure there were people in his camp that said, "Yeah, let's get rid of the Medici because they're." Uh, Getting too big for the boots. I mean, keeping in mind that then as now, you know, rich people spend their wealth and power. This is, again, one of the premises of my book, The Psychopath Economy, uh, which some of you chose not to pre-order, um, <laughs> as, uh, you know, is that people with wealth and power spend their money to, A, uh, increase uh, or maintain their their power, their political power, and right. B to try and make more money. That mm. that that's common sense. That's what people with money tend to do. Right. And of course, these people have competing interests. Quite often, if you have two very rich families in, let's say, a small town like the one you're in or the one I grew up in, you have a small right. town. Let's say you have two rich families. Now, those rich families are going to have certain interests in common. They have conjoined interests. If you if you put their interest down in a Venn diagram, you've got a section in the middle where they, they have conjoined interests. Um, basically, right. they want to keep the uh, uh, status quo in terms of politics. They don't want to, they don't want capitalism to be overthrown by communists, right? Because that's mm-hmm. bad for both of them. Right. They don't really want a new rich family to come in to town because then that rich family is going to be competing with them. They don't want a new newspaper to come into town if they can't control it because it might talk about how corrupt and dirty they are. So they have some conjoined interests and then they have competing interests. Okay, well, you you, you own the gold mines, I own the silver mines, I want the gold mines because you might t- get the money from the gold mines and use it to... You know, get a law passed to say that silver mines are banned, and then I lose my silver mine. So I, right. I need to get you kicked out before you kick me out. There's all that stuff going on, like we talked about in the Alexander series, why his generals couldn't all just get along and take their yeah. little kingdoms and be happy. It's because they were always worried that the other guy was going to come after them. Right. So there's paranoia involved, and particularly if you're a psychopath, you always think um, you deserve to be on top, and everyone else is out to get you. So, wow. um. You know, I, I think if you, if you take Florence at the time, so you've got you've got a handful of rich families, a couple of hundred rich families to varying degrees, and they've got factions inside those rich families. The Medici is obviously a major faction at this stage. Cosimo's building a major faction. Um, the Albizzi have a major faction, um, and they're both going to use try and use their respective factions to get rid of the other guy. Um, right. And Albizzi here is seeing his chance to try and build support amongst the oligarchy and the people to kick the Medici out of Florence for good. Now's his chance. Um, but I think we'll, we'll get into that 
next time on the Renaissance Podcast. Thank you.